0: it it is It is sad that there are so few people on this particular topic, but that's okay. People can go back and watch, I suppose and it's not like it's the end of the world or something um, all right let's uh, let's pray and we will get into it Lord Jesus, uh, we are thankful to have been able to celebrate this Thanksgiving holiday um, and be thankful for so many things despite uh, plenty of things I'm sure for all of us that could be mentioned as challenges and annoyances and disappointments, and so uh, we want to say thank you, and we want to have thanksgiving on our lips because of what you have done for us in our lives and our relationships and ultimately in the person of Jesus and what he has done for us, the topic of our time together today, and so we pray that you give us ears to hear and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, so so just so I know, I mean... <laughs> Who was actually here last time? Who was sitting in here last time? Okay, okay, my man, Josh was for sure. So we talked about justification, and it, someone who was someone who remembers. Kind of what were what was the main kind of tension that I pointed out or the uh, about justification that might have been a new newer concept? Does anyone know? This is the only slide for this Sunday school, by the way. It really is. I'm serious. Righteousification. So it is righteousification that's justification. That's right. But what what else so we put up some verses on the on the slides and it was kind of like, well, huh, I never thought of it maybe quite like that. What 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 point did I make about justification? Already not yet. Okay, yeah. Yeah, good. Good. That's right. And so there justification seems to be one of these many phenomena along with the kind of the way the uh, consistent with which uh, the manner the, the manner in which, excuse me, the kingdom comes kind of already not yet. Justification seems to be one of those things. And so that justification is really one more of these end time things that gets backed up into the present. And so there is a present kind of justification but there is a future kind of justification coming and they both are not exactly the same and as as a parallel for example you might say that it's true we currently have eternal life if we're in christ isn't that right and yet we do not yet have eternal life in a more robust sense of the word already not yet we are raised up and resurrected with christ already but not yet how it will happen. And so similarly, what I'm suggesting is that the whole scandal of Paul's doctrine of justification is he takes something that everyone would have expected and everyone in some sense should should still expect to be at the end, where even Jesus says, by your words you will be justified, by your words you will be condemned. Paul in Romans chapter 2, speaking of it will be the doers of the law who will be justified on that day, Uh, where Jesus judges the secrets of men's hearts by Christ, uh, where the secrets of men's hearts are judged uh, in in Christ Jesus. Um, And he backs that up. But now, there is a righteousness that actually comes apart from the law, that has nothing to do with doing. It has to do with having faith in Christ. It's a righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ and that is the that is the manner in which that is the reason the only way anyone can stand before god just and then i and i said how do we square then an initial justification that is by faith with a final justification that is according to works and what was the illustration that i used and actually it was one that i recycled to explain that does anyone remember Yes, the crowd outside Sam's Club or Costco or or whatever, these big one of these big old uh, membership stores, bulk purchase stores, right? And so just to rehearse for if you don't remember or weren't here, imagine that you were gifted a Sam's Club membership. Okay, do Sam's Club people have a card? Yeah. Okay, just make sure the illustration. Yeah, so imagine you were gifted a Sam's Club membership... Totally free. It was a free gift. Romans three, um, but you you know you go to Sam's Club and and everyone's trying to get in and you have a ton of people saying, "I'm a member. I'm a member. I'm a member. I promise. I'm a member." You know, and then there's the management there at the door and among a sea of people clamoring to get into Sam's Club to buy whatever it is that people who go to Sam's Club buy. How do you tell the frauds from the legitimate ones? What I'm suggesting is the biblical analog is going to be who can pull out their membership card. Okay? Plain as that. Now, that membership card isn't what foundationally entitles you to get in. What it foundationally entitles you to get in is the fact that you're a member. You have a paid membership and someone gifted that to you. That's the causal reason for you getting in. But what demonstrates But the the, the thing that demonstrates that you have that membership is your card. And so similarly, final justification will in fact be a who lived righteously before God and who did not. It will not be the foundation, the ultimate causal reason anyone enters the kingdom, but there will be a final vindication on the Christian story. There there, There won't be anyone who just slips into the past without being publicly vindicated. And I don't have time to argue for it now, but I do believe, and I think, I think there's good reason to believe, it's not just an idiosyncratic belief, I think there's good reason to believe that we will appear in the final judgment in glorified resurrection bodies. Okay? I believe that we will appear before the judgment seat of God in glorified resurrection bodies. So it won't be one of these things where it's like, oh. <gasps> You know, am I going to get in? It's like, no. Oh, I, I, I'm in. I, I'm going to about to be publicly justified, publicly vindicated. Hi there. Okay. Any questions about that? Any questions about that before we move on? Because that is important. Justification, a phenomena understood in light of biblical theology, not just systematic theology, already, not yet. The already, which is the foundation for standing before God is based on the righteousness of another, that's Christ. Final or manifestive justification on the basis of works, just like you see in Matthew chapter 25, where those who enter the kingdom, there's not a theology test, it's a, did you visit me? Did you clothe me when I was naked? Et cetera. You have a question, don't you? No? No? Yeah. I'm saying when we are judged, my, I don't have time to, I'm asserting this. I don't have time to go defend it. I think there's good reason to believe that we will appear before the final judgment seat of God in glorified resurrection bodies. Prior to that, 70 or 700 years, in heaven, Like in the intermediate state? I think you would. That's that's it's adding on top of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's oh yeah, I see what you're saying. It's not like I'm not saying you have to wait until that moment. But but what about people who right at the return of Christ are transformed? First Corinthians 15. I'm saying that they're not going to have to wonder. No one's going to have to wonder. It'll be very clear before the pronouncement is, is made. In one sense, so yeah, good question. Okay, but here's the thing. So there we justification. If you have questions about that, if the idea of kind of two phases of justification and already not yet is confusing to you, please come ask me questions. I'm happy to discuss it with you. But here's the thing. We're going to move on from that because you might agree that justification comes through faith, this righteousification. But you might disagree about what the righteousification or justification actually means. In fact, you might think it comes through union with Christ, but still disagree about what it means. Um, and, And this really was at the heart of the Protestant Reformation. Does the righteousification that happens means that there is righteousness, that there is charity, that there is virtue that gets infused into you so that you are a better person? Okay, that you, so that you are a just person. There's moral change um, such that you are not, in fact, guilty any longer. Or is justification that no, you're, you are guilty because you're a sinner, but you are being treated as though you are righteous because of the righteousness of another? So uh, let, let, me, let me give you a couple of examples here. So once you to hear this from the Council of Trent. From the Council of Trent, which of course played very large uh, in, in uh, opposing Reformed theology. This disposition or preparation, it's talking about the work of the Spirit, preparing people's hearts, um, is followed by justification itself, which is not only a remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the inward man through the voluntary reception of grace and gifts whereby an unjust man becomes just. You hear that language? Becomes just themselves. And from being an enemy from a friend that he may be an heir according to the hope of everlasting life. For though no one can be just, move it, skipping down a little bit, for though no one can be just except he to whom the merits of the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ are communicated, yet this takes place in that justification of the sinner, when by the merit of the most holy passion, the here it is, the charity of God. This is what happens in justification. The charity of God is poured forth by the Holy Ghost in the hearts of those who are justifies and in heirs in them, whence man, through Jesus Christ, in whom he is engrafted, receives that justification together with the remission of sins. All these infused at the same time: faith, hope, charity. So you see that language: justification is me. To does it, does it be very, very clear, it's not like everyone believes that fruit follows faith. That's not what's being said. They're saying that justification is itself something where morality and virtue and righteousness and justice is infused into someone. That is the righteousification. The instrumental cause of that is the sacrament of baptism, which is the sacrament of faith. So here from Catechism 1266, the most holy trinity gives the baptized, sanctifying grace, the grace of justification. Now Protestants, you hear that like, wait, what? The most holy trinity gives the baptized, sanctifying grace, the grace of justification, enabling them to believe in God, to hope in them, and to love him through the theological virtues, giving them the power to live and act under the prompting of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and allowing them to grow in goodness through the moral virtues. So, uh, if you want an analogy from the language that you and I are more familiar with, the protest—I'm sorry—the Catholic understanding of justification really combines what Protestants would call regeneration, a quickening of the heart, justification, and sanctification. That's it. They're all, one. there's not a a difference. So justification isn't something that, uh, justification is something that happens over the course of a lifetime. Now let me use an analogy that I, I just actually stumbled across this from a Catholic. And the analogy goes like this, if you're having trouble wrapping your mind around this. So at Baptist, it's like we're all wearing dirty robes. Okay? Pretend we all got dirty robes on. And at baptism, on the sacramental understanding of baptism for Catholics, and for some Protestants, to be clear, Anglicans believe the same thing, uh, our dirty robes are not counted as though they are white. They are actually made white. Okay? They're actually made white. We don't get credited with white robes because Jesus had white robes. Our robes are actually made white. And then when we dirty them up again with our sin, the sacraments help us get our stains back out. Okay, This is the sacramental system of the Catholic Church. If we die with venial sins, which just to put it crudely are not so serious sins, then purgatory uh, cleanses off the rest of the stains so that we stand actually righteous before God, Okay, on our own two feet, having been purged. And so we are actually righteous. We have a righteousness that actually inheres in us. The Protestant view is that we have dirty robes, but we are counted as though our robes are clean and, and we are seen by God and treated by God as people with clean robes because of the work of Christ. And I would say because we're united to someone who has clean robes. I think it's an important distinction. Who then progressively seeks to become what they have been declared to be. So I, I am seeking to, excuse me, uh, to mortify my sin throughout the course of my life, right? But I will never get there. When I stand before the judgment, I still will have not white robes, and I will stand before God, and I will have hope. I will have, if I'm a believer, have lived a righteous life. But none of that will be enough to ground me getting into the kingdom, entering into the kingdom. Also, I should mention on the Catholic view that you can actually there's, they have a doctrine called the treasury of merit, whereby taking, uh, in <laughs> taking. Advantage of things like indulgences, which, by the way, are still a thing. Some people just remember that from history class and thought that disappeared. It's not. Indulgences are still a very real thing where you can actually take some of the merit of other saints, OK, who have died and and then kind of apply it to your robes to whiten them, to whiten them up. OK, so so that is the primary difference on a reformed understanding of things and really, frankly, the Protestant understanding of things, regeneration of the heart involves a moral change, a quickening of the heart. Now I'm interested in things of God. This is Lydia. Her heart is open to, to hear the things of Paul. right? Sanctification involves moral change. But justification itself does not involve moral change. It involves being reckoned and credited as something that you are in fact not. And that's the scandal of Paul's gospel because it is God literally acquitting the guilty. Something that coming out of the Old Testament, someone wanted to say, what? We hear over and over that that's not what we're supposed to do and God will by no means do that. But that is exactly what happens and he does it by punishing someone righteous. Okay? So... Understanding that we could do a whole series on justification, which we're not going to do, at least right now, um, I want to turn. I want you to have at least—we already went through Romans 3 last time, we're not going to rehearse that—but I want you to be able to have at least four kind of chair texts to sit on in terms of understanding justification, not as something that makes us actually righteous, just people that then we go and mess up and have to go fix up ourselves— but that we are being credited with something that is actually not our own. And that is when you hear the word alien righteousness. The word has fallen out of, I mean, most people don't use that word anymore because it sounds like E.T. or something. But when, when people talk it about uh, an alien righteousness, they just mean a righteousness that doesn't belong to you, a righteousness of someone else. And when they say forensic and when they say legal, That's in contrast with this infused model of righteousness from Catholics. So forensic, you're being, the the, the mallet slams and it's not guilty, righteous. You are in the books before God. You go down as not guilty, even though you are in fact still a sinner. That's what forensic means. And so the idea is forensic alien righteousness means the righteousness of Christ that gets credited to us. So before we look at these four chair texts together, so we have an understanding that this is what justification is as opposed to this infused understanding that really blends regeneration, justification, and sanctification. Any questions about what I've discussed so far or the Catholic understanding and what I mean by like righteousness getting infused in someone? Does everyone understand the distinction between the two? Have I done a good enough job presenting this distinction between those two understandings of justification? It's okay if you don't think so. You don't have my feelings. I can explain it more. Okay. Good. That's good. Okay. All right. So having said that, let's look at, we've already looked at Romans 3. I think Romans 3 is a great example. Okay. But we're not going to look at it because we've already looked at it. So having said that, turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We'll just go one chapter over and look at our man, Abraham. And I'm going to read 1 through 8 briefly. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God... And it was counted to him, reckoned to him, credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, which to a Jew reading that is a bizarre phrase, folks. That's bizarre, coming out of the Old Testament. Okay? In him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Alright, let me just point out a couple of things. Of course, Romans 4 One through eight could be a whole sermon, and in fact, could probably be two sermons. But let me just make a couple of brief observations about it. The first is that this idea of boasting on Paul's understanding of things is removed. On Paul's understanding of justification, there is no grounds for boasting. What is boasting? It is a a basis of pride. It's a reason to think highly of oneself. It's it's a reason to think, perhaps, that one is entitled to something— and Paul explains that to be justified by works, if works are playing a role in, a found, in some kind of foundational sense, that Abraham would actually have grounds to boast. Hey, I obeyed with the grace and righteousness uh, that was infused to me, and other people didn't. Period. We both got this infusion of grace. Okay, I'm not saying by works alone. We both got this infusion of righteousness Okay, but I made it to the finish line and this person didn't. Why? Well, because I was faithful and did the sacraments and did all the things and this person didn't. They're saying, well, but if it comes down to that, it comes down to one person genuinely being able to say, Yeah, because I did really well. I mean, I handled what was we both got grace to start off with, but I'm the one who handled it well. I'm the one who did what I was supposed to do. And 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 it's very it's almost impossible to see how that doesn't become grounds for a kind of boast okay i pointed out in verse three that you have this language of being counted or credited as righteousness this is legal language this is transactional language the, the word carries this idea of being considered as or regarded as and in this case he is regarded as something righteous which is very different than what it says he had which is what everyone look down what does it say that he had huh who? Someone said it. Uh, loss well, loss of memory. Loss of memory. Uh, no, no, that wasn't it. That's a good guess, though. So it says that he was credited with righteousness, but but what was it that he actually had that was the basis of his being credited with righteousness? His, who would say it out loud? Faith. His faith. Thank you. I'm trying to mumble. So faith, 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 faith. hope someone else says it. Yeah, faith. Right, so notice the reason that he is righteousified, if we're if we're wondering if righteousified means righteousness getting infused in me or righteousness getting credited to me, it's interesting that he is righteousified, not because of righteousness that he has or right things that he did, but because of his faith. That's what inerred in him was faith. He had faith, and as a result, it was credited to him, it was credited to him as Righteousness. Um, let me see how far I want to skip down. We got to keep. We got to keep moving here. There's. There's going to be so much said here. Abraham believed God. It was counted as righteousness. Yeah. To the one who works, his his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies as un- the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Um, again, let me just say on the Catholic account where justification is a process that, that goes throughout an, in someone's entire life it's just, it's very difficult oh yes, I'm sorry, question? Uh, you might have said this, but like the, the word counted is that, that God justifying right here that justification so uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm saying form that of, like, that's right here, or right here. so Yes, I'm saying that that it's describing that process. So the word justifies occurs down there in verse 5, him who justifies the ungodly. But remember, justifies and righteous and righteousness, they're all the same word group. So here, when we're trying to figure out, and then you look at verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he's got something to boast about. But the scripture says something else, that it was counted to him as righteousness. So being counted as righteousness is explained as what it means that he was not justified by works. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. So that's the idea. It was counted to him as something. If he had worked for it and then he had been said, you know what? You did really well with the grace you had. That would have been like the the laborer who deserves his wages. It wouldn't have been a gift. You might say, well, there was a gift in the beginning, but what ultimately got me to the finish line was my efforts and the way I stewarded what was given to me, and this person just didn't. I wrote down this little experiment, a thought experiment right here, because in Paul's doctrine, it's, it's, there is nothing, there is nothing that we can stand on before, uh, uh, to justify ourselves before God in terms of entitlement. Uh, we, we cannot appeal to anything that we have done as a, to say that we have right standing for God. I wrote this out because I, I don't know if I would remember it exactly, so it might sound a little awkward. But. So why is it that if my friend and I have just been received into the Catholic Church through baptism, and then in the coming weeks I faithfully attend Mass and do all the things, but my friend commits a mortal sin and gets hit by a bread truck on the way to confession and dies and goes to hell? Okay. Well what accounts for the difference between those two lives? Surely the answer is because I performed well with the grace God gave me and he didn't. I did I was supposed we both received grace on the front end, okay. Fair enough. Grace, we both had faith, we got grace infused to us, but then he did all these things and I did all the right things. Surely there's something that I have done that allows me to stand before God and really is a large part of it, and that um, where I can say I was faithful, and therefore that's the grounds by which I enter into the kingdom. And that, of course, is the Catholic view. Okay? To the extent that you are not quite faithful enough, or you didn't do enough penance, and you still got some stains on your robes, that's the purpose of purgatory. You have to actually be righteous to get in. Okay? That's how they understand justification. Okay, so Paul doubles down and on in verse five. I said how scandalous the idea is that God would unjustify, what would justify the ungodly. That is exactly what happens here. And then let me just skip down and talk. Say that he finishes talking about this section and justification, um, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness. You hear that accounting language. He accounts it. He accounts righteousness apart from works. This is a righteousness that is apart from works. It's a righteousness that is apart from obedience. A righteousness that is apart from doing. And this interesting quote, is fascinating quote from Psalm 31. Listen to this, because it has nothing to do with sins being erased or not being there. Look at, Listen to the language. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. Verse 8. doesn't say that his sins got wiped away as if he's not a sinner. Okay? Here, he is going to be treated as though he is not a sinner because of the righteousness of Christ. Okay, so do you, do you see how Romans 4, 1 through 8, is that helpful in seeing how if we were having a debate about, okay, is the righteousification, the justification that happens, Things that go into good things that get injected into you, and then as a kind of declaration of your quality of life, versus something that actually doesn't have anything to do with obedience, but in and you are still a sinner, but you are counted as though you were righteous. That's what the per, that's what I was trying to argue. Does that make sense? How this text argues for that second view, yes, no, kind of. What do you think, yes, kind of, maybe. Yeah, I, I, but I, I think about, uh, I don't know what this was, uh, it's like, uh, it's, it's like, uh oh, man, it's like, uh, you know, you're my sheep, if you do my will. Yeah. Ah, so good. Yeah, so good question here. So one, um, so l- let's let's talk about this this very briefly. So everyone believes that someone who is justified. Um, well, I say everyone. We're just going to talk about what we we believe for a second. Protestant understanding, and certainly Reformed understanding. Someone who is justified. The ordo salutis here: regeneration, calling, repentance, or conversion, which is repentance and belief, justification, and then everyone who is truly united to Christ. Demons, uh, uh, shows fruit throughout their Christian life. Okay, there, There's no such thing as a dead faith. That's what James criticizes in James chapter 2. And so that fruit follows true faith. Okay, But fruit doesn't cause true faith. It's not as though you have dead faith, add fruit, and it makes the faith alive. That's not it. That's not the causal relationship. It's that... Every living, every genuine faith produces fruitfulness. And by your fruits, you will know them. That's why in 1 John, there are so many, by this you shall know. It doesn't mean by this you shall be, which is kind of what you were thinking. It's not by this you shall be this. Talking about how we can know certain things, but how you become those things is a different matter. Does that make sense? Okay. Any other questions about Romans 4, 1 through 8? The blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works and does not count his sin. Verse 8. Okay? Still sinners, not counted. Alien forensic righteousness. All right. Next. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter five. We're, we're gonna let's uh, look at verse twelve real quick. I'm gonna I'm gonna read the whole pa- I'm gonna read the whole passage just so you have the benefit of, of the context. And then I'm gonna ask. By the way, listen very carefully because then I'm gonna ask why do you think this is a proof text for getting credited with righteousness? That's not yours. And I think the answer suggests itself if you're listening carefully. Here's what Paul says. This is a famous passage talking about Adam, the first Adam, the second Adam. Okay. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For indeed, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So whether you had the special revelation of God or not, everyone still sinned, everyone still fell, sh- fell short. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, have, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's disobedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so I just want to stop and ask, why do you think this passage, what conceptually here seems to suggest strongly that the justification, the kind of righteousness, or being made righteous, even the language, is understood as something that you're credited with as opposed to something that you actually have inside of you? What do you think? Why did I pick this passage? Yes, sir. Okay, that is literally the answer. Yep, that is it. That is it. So, does anyone, now that Joe has given the, the skeleton version of it, does anyone care to elaborate on that? What is, what is Joe, what is he talking about? What does he mean? He's right, that is exactly what it is. But, but, skeleton, right, what he was saying, yep, yep. Um, anyone care to elaborate on what Joe said? is what Joe said made sense to anyone is everyone wondering why he said that Yeah so what Joe said was is it says does it have something to do with Adam's guilt being imputed to us us being credited with Adam's guilt and I said yes that is exactly what it has to do with So that given that right, so 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 someone put the pieces together for me why where is the argument here It is about the truth. Yes, it is. It's a good observation. What else? So, is it if if our guilt comes because we're credited with it because of Adam, then in the same way, only righteousness could be credited to us? In both instances, it's not about what is already there, but what we're credited with. Ding, ding, ding. That is exactly right. Okay, so to summarize what she's saying, this is, it, it was good. It was great. So here, here is what this passage seems to strongly suggest. is That is, um, we, you and I weren't around when Adam sinned. We didn't take the fruit from the tree. Alright? We didn't disobey God in the garden. I've never seen the Garden of Eden, and neither have you. But here's the thing. Not there's not only did we receive a sinful nature, but we were actually credited with Adam's guilt. Because we sinned in Adam. We sinned in Adam. Um, it, it is not as though... Remember when we talked about our doctrine of sin in our uh, uh, Doctrines of Grace series? We talked about there is the doctrine of transmission of a sinful nature but there is also the imputation of Adam's guilt, okay? But you and I are credited with Adam's guilt because he stands at the head of the human race. Jesus similarly stands at the head of of the family of God in terms of being redeemer. And I'm not bickering about God being father and him saying. But but the, the 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 parallel here here is very clear. You are credited with Adam's guilt. What the first man did was sufficient to impute guilt to all those in him. What the second Adam did was sufficient to impute righteousness to all those who were in him. Okay? In in neither case was does it you does it follow that you and I were back there doing the sinning, and equally so it doesn't follow that you are, you and I were out here doing righteous things, or even handling grace well to achieve righteousness. So particularly, let me just read verse eighteen, um, and we and we may we may move on. But let me also just say that Christ was reckoned a sinner himself. We remember from Second Corinthians five twenty one. Um, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. By the way, it's not like a universalist proof text. Someone might be asking, well, does that mean that everyone's justified? No, the idea in the passage is that everyone in Adam is guilty and everyone is Christ. Everyone in Christ uh, it, it leads to justification. For as by the one, and then here's the relationship verse here. For as by the one man's disobedient, the many were made sinners, so the one man's disobedient, the many will be made righteous. That's the second Adam. That's the second Adam. And so there is this uh, relationship between the first Adam and the second Adam that tips us off that what's going on here is something about being credited. Let's just back up uh, once more to verse 16. The free gift, that is the free gift of justification in Christ, is not like... Um, is not like the result of that one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So everyone is born condemned under Adam's sin, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Brought justification. Okay? So the idea here is supposed to be If you and I are guilty of Adam's trespass, despite not being those who transgressed like he did, so similarly, Christ as the second Adam, we receive his righteousness, even though we're not righteous either. It's a double imputation. Imputed with the guilt of Adam, imputed with the righteousness of the second Adam. Okay? Does that make sense? The parallel there? Yes? No? Okay? Okay. All right. We already touched on this one so I'm going to be very brief. In fact, I only have time to be very brief. 2 Corinthians 5:21 dovetails very nicely with what we just talked about. We've already read it and everyone knows the verse, so I can do this one very quickly, okay? For our sake, talk after talking about his ministry and being an ambassador of Christ, a ministry a ministry of reconciliation, Paul says in verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that for our sake he, which is Christ, made him made him to be sin. He made him to be sin. Okay, it makes it sound like it, like the last language that we just read back in chapter 5, the made language. Doesn't that mean that actually made that person this way? Well, no, of course not. No one believes that Jesus was made a sinner. But for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay. And so, again, you have the same kind of parallel. Jesus was someone who was righteous, but he was treated, he was counted as though he was a sinner. Therefore, what gets to happen for those who are in him? People who are sinners get to get counted as though they were righteous. You see that? Just like how Jesus was not actually a sinner, but he was made Uh, just he was made to be sin, okay? I understand made to be sin not to mean that Jesus was made sinful, that he was made a sinful person. That's not it, just like the language back in chapter 5 that we just read about making. Similarly, we might become the righteousness of God, not meaning that we become perfectly righteous people, but that just as Christ was treated as a sinner despite being righteous we are treated as righteous despite being sinners. Okay, so there's a level of being credited, being counted as, and not as having righteousness actually in us, if that makes sense. Okay, well, I need to close. We have one minute left, uh, maybe a time for one question. I don't, there's one more text that we'll, we'll uh, uh, and it's an important one in Philippians chapter three that I want you to know about for sure, uh, but we'll look at that next time any uh, any questions before we close about this business of justification being forensic being legal and not being a moral transformation infused in us okay if you have questions you you raise your hand and you harder Come talk to me and be happy to speak with you. It is very, it's very important, though, uh, that we understand this a lot, uh, very much hangs on understanding the distinction between these two things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're thankful. We're thankful to have a righteousness of another because without it, we just couldn't stand. We're thankful that uh, you sent your only son to give us an opportunity to have that righteousness, that you made him to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. What a beautiful promise. Thank you for this beautiful doctrine of justification. We pray that we would understand it faithfully, that it would lead to our fruitfulness. In the name of Jesus, amen.